We are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 132 on the Happy St. Valentine's Day Massacre. (laughs) I thought you were going to (laughs) say the first note, which says, Happy Valentine's Day, bitches. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I'd work in the Happy in the Valentine's Day Massacre as well. I think it really just... I don't think it was that happy, but no, no, <laughs> that's what we do here, though. We tie the happiness with the sadness. Just squeak it on in there. It is. It's squeaked. It's Valentine's Day. It is. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. We are a day late and a dollar short, but we For thought the we usual. Would... Yep. Yeah, I mean, could you expect anything less? No. <laughs> But here we are, and we switched up our episodes a little bit because of Valentine's Day. We were going to do the Cleveland Torso Murders, which will be coming later in our lineup. Um, But we are going to talk about this one today. Yeah, switched it up. Yeah. But before we get started, we got a few items to check off our business list. What do we want to tell them? Like, share, subscribe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That wasn't on our list. <laughs> it goes hand in hand with the downloads. So we told you guys that we would be get, doing a giveaway once we hit 100,000 downloads. Right now we are at 97,215, which means we've got about, what, 2,700-ish downloads mm-hmm. that we need before our giveaway. So tell your friends and your mom and your grandpa to listen yeah, every one of them helps. And like we said last show, a download is a play. So you don't have to download anything. If you play one of our episodes, it counts towards this download goal of 100,000. Yep. And then we'll yeah. give away a t-shirt and it'll be awesome. That's right. But let's say that we give away a t-shirt and you don't win it. Well, we have a website where you can get a t-shirt. We do have a website where you could get a t-shirt. So if you go to mysteryhistorypodcast.com, you can get a t-shirt from us. If you sign up for our Patreon, where we have 120 plus episodes for you to enjoy, you will get a discount code for the website. So a free t-shirt's amazing. A discounted t-shirt is almost the same thing. Also pretty good. Plus 120 extra episodes. That's right. And our, our sweatshirts, we can both attest, are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I wear our sweatshirt often. All the time. Um, We talked about <laughs> our Mystery History podcast throw pillow that we used to have on the website. And Dana, she's actually my cousin, and she bought a throw pillow and it still sits on her couch. Has confirmed it is on the couch. So I feel like we've made it. That was the yeah. the peak of our careers. Peak of it. Yep, indeed. And you know, the our uh, things that we sell are quality because it's been on her couch for like two years, right? Oh, yeah. At least. At least. So, <laughs> so yeah, they they hold up over time. Is it, isn't it so weird how long we've been doing this? It is weird. I feel like just yesterday, mm-hmm. I took it over from your brother, 
And yeah. I was like looking at it and I was like, oh, I was looking at my day planner from last year and I had all the stuff written in it. And I was like, was I doing that last year? Yes. Yes, yeah. it was. It's weird. Some, day, some days it feels like a hundred years and other days it feels like a week. <laughs> yes. Indeed. Yes. This is a labor of love. But we love it. It is. We do love it. Speaking of labor of love, this was a tough episode to do notes for. Is it because of just like the historical aspect of it or the words hard? What am I getting into here? Uh, It's because gangsters don't talk about what they did, but they do a lot of stuff. So there's like all kinds of things going on that led up to this event. But it's like all over the place, like all over the place. We're kind of like gangsters, I feel. No, we are not. What less, are you talking about? <laughs> we're all over the place, but we're less oh. violent. <laughs> but that's fair. <laughs> and we don't have cool names. We need to name ourselves differently. Get some mob names. Yeah. So if you've got a good mob name for us, please share it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I always wanted that, like a stage name. <laughs> Name. <laughs> not like a stripper name because i can but never a... do that <laughs> but, but a yeah. podcast host name yeah yeah so give us your suggestions because we need them <laughs> all right i think that's all the business that we have yeah i think so too okay perfect so why don't you go ahead and get us started on the saint valentine's day massacre i will So from 1924 to 1930, the city of Chicago gained a widespread reputation for lawlessness and violence. Not coincidentally, this phenomenon coincided with the reign of the chief crime lord, Al Scarface Capone. You know about him? I do. Did he have a scar on his face or is that just a cool name? He did have a scar on his face. You could be... Very briefly, talk about that. What? You could be freckle face. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) But now I could be glasses face, I guess. Like, that'd be cool. I don't know. (laughs) We can come up with something better for you. (laughs) That's why we need your help, everyone. Please, help us. (laughs) Oh, goodness gracious. So, a little bit about Capone. His parents immigrated to the United States from Naples in 1893. Al was born January 17, 1899, and was the fourth of nine children, and he grew up in Brooklyn, New York. He attended school until the sixth grade when he dropped out. He was 14 years old, and he uh, hit his teacher. Damn, that's gangster. That's messed up. I mean, you, you know, she doesn't get paid a lot and she's putting in the hard work trying to make these little a-holes <laughs> decent humans. And he slapped yeah. her in the face. <laughs> wow. I How, like, you went to school for early childhood education. Yeah. I went to school and I had teachers that I didn't like. So I can see both sides of this. Like, If you saw your teacher get slapped in the face and she was a real, you know, see you next Tuesday, how like triumphant that would be. 
But then at the same time, as that teacher, how could you not just take them by the neck and strangle them? Like, I don't, I don't know, know, man. Yeah. So after he slapped his teacher, he worked a variety of odd jobs. He was a candy store clerk, a bowling alley pin boy, a laborer in an ammunition plant, Dang. and a cutter in a book bindery. All while he was going through these odd jobs, he was serving in the South Brooklyn Rippers and <laughs> the 40 Thieves Juniors. And these were two <laughs> quote unquote kid gangs. So just a bunch of juvenile delinquents running around. Um, there <laughs> that's a band of delinquent children known for vandalism and petty crime. And that was really common in New York at the time to have these little kid gangs going well, off you ever watch that movie deuces wild i don't think so it's got uh what's his name steven dorf or something i forget he's yeah. really cute vampire and blade Ooh, mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. very handsome fella he was in it and it was a really good movie it's was about it about a gang yeah they were more like adultish and some people died yeah got real I think any movie about gangs, people are going to die. Yeah, but I highly recommend it. I I don't feel like it got the praise it deserved. Hmm. I'll have to mm. give it a little watch. Capone also became a member of the James Street Boys gang during this time. I don't know. Is there a limit on how many gangs you're allowed to join? Surely he's like switching out of them, right? But man, he's like been in every single gang. I'm only about the gangs that's blood in, blood out. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> How's he get to switch through so many? This is like a book club. You can be a part of many book clubs, but only one gang. <laughs> yeah, this is weird, right? I didn't think about that when I was writing the notes, but now I'm like, wait a second. Are you allowed <laughs> to just switch gangs? I don't know. So James Street Boys Gang, this was run by Johnny Torrio. Uh, the man that would become his lifelong mentor and he was associated with the five points gang at age 16 capone became a member of the five points gang so maybe it like has to do with how old you are kind of like the girl scouts they're like oh you're 14 (laughs) you're in the daisies gang (laughs) you know yeah maybe i don't know so he Turned 16, got in the Five Points gang, and he served aspiring mobster Francesco Lowelli, Torrio's associate, who is more commonly known as Frankie Yale, which is easier to say, and I appreciate that. Definitely easier. (laughs) Serving in the gang, he was a bartender in Yale's brothel saloon at the Harvard Inn. Dang, so they had like an establishment and everything. Yeah, so these rackets that these gangs run, I I thought it was like bootlegging, right? Which was big. Mm-hmm. But they also ran like brothels and gambling, like casinos kind of things. Um, and then some other stuff that I was like, oh, who did that? Trying to put on a front as a legitimate business. Um, those weren't their legitimate businesses, but they did have actual like storefront legitimate businesses. We'll talk about one guy had like a flower shop. Oh, and, yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, they would have fronts like I'm a florist. <laughs> That's and, so funny. And he, 
and he was actually like a florist like he did florist work so um, but he also murdered people yes he did he did also Mm. do that that's like in uh so many movie references but uh (laughs) the whole nine yards jimmy the tulip yeah tulip everywhere (laughs) maybe he was a florist we don't know seems like it is likely (laughs) and me and capone actually have a lot in common because people call me al also yeah that's really it but i know i was waiting for the next thing (laughs) and i was trying to think of something else but nothing's really coming now (laughs) i don't even have a scar on my face you don't anyway nor do do you need one (laughs) before capone turned 21 he was involved in several violent incidents in a youthful scrape at the Harvard Inn, a young hoodlum named Frank Galuccio, be prepared, folks. There's probably going to be a lot of these names coming up. <laughs> he uh, slashed Capone with a knife or a razor across his left cheek after Capone made a crude comment to his sister, prompting the later nickname Scarface. So that's there how he is, got folks. the scar on his face. I did not. I would not want that to happen to me. That mm-hmm. sounds terrible. Sliced with a razor? No thanks. In the face. In the face. I don't even want my arm or my finger sliced with anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't even watch. I'm just going to go off real quick <laughs> okay. on a tangent. I can't. Wa- I love cooking shows. I can't cook to save my life. I don't even like to cook, but I like watching other people cook. And Gordon Ramsay is dreamy. He's a dreamboat. But yeah. he uses the mandolin. Mm-hmm. And I am waiting yeah. for freaking for... flesh potato chips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. I can't even watch it. I can't even watch it. It's terrible. Gotta close your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Tell me when it's over. Um, Capone later shot the winner of a neighborhood crabs game to death as he robbed him um, of his winnings. So he just wanted that money. Despite being questioned by the police, Capone was let go because no one had witnessed the murder supposedly or right? said yeah <laughs> in another incident capone brutally assaulted a low-level member of the rival white hand gang and left him for dead since white hand gang leaders promised retribution yale sent capone his wife and his young child to chicago to work for torio who comes up with these gang names the white hand the white hand gang i don't know somebody was like just like what could it be and it's like oh I, white oh. hand <laughs> Uh, i also think it's interesting that somebody married him and had a kid with him it's probably all about like the dollar dollar bills and Uh the status but having a kid in those circumstances i don't know because you have to imagine i mean all this violence is going on so they're like probably always watching their back like the white hand gang leader promised retribution for this thing i'm sure there was a million other things Mm -hmm. and he's got a wife and a little kid not smart irresponsible (laughs) that would be like the worst to be the mom with the child Mm -hmm. all the time and like that's your number one Uh, job the last thing i would do is get pregnant if i was married to this man (laughs) yeah torio had moved from new york to chicago in 1909 to help run the giant brothel business under chicago crime boss big jim calissimo shortly after capone's arrival in the city in 1919 calissimo was assassinated by either yale or capone himself in 1920 to make way for torio's rule 
That makes sense. As... So they kill each other, though. Like, this happened multiple times in this gang, like, over the course of a few years. Like, four people that were leading it were murdered. So that would mean I would never want to be number one. Yeah. Mm-mm, I not would not smart. either. <laughs> Middle management is where I live. <laughs> that's, that's the spot <laughs> for me. <laughs> As Prohibition began, new bootlegging operations opened up and drew in immense wealth. In 1924, Capone was responsible for the murder of Joe Howard in retribution for Howard's earlier earlier assault of one of Capone's friends. So it's just retribution city everywhere. Back and forth, back and forth. That's why the notes were so hard, because it, like it's all over the place. <laughs> we're going to get through it, and we're going to see a lot of death and mm-hmm. retributions um mm-hmm. if you if i ever die i need you to stand on top of my body and point in the air and say retribution <laughs> <laughs> you got it and i'll know too william mcswiggin an aggressive prosecutor attempted but failed to indict capone when the eyewitness to the killing fearing harm lost their nerve and denied remembering the incident duh as I mean, I do. can't, I can't As blame them. Do now, like I actually didn't see anything. My mistake. <laughs> <laughs> later uh, that, let oh, me PS ahead. in here because I don't think I put this in the notes later. But at some point, Capone, his little gang, and maybe him, I don't remember, ended up murdering this prosecutor, McSwiggin. Oh, <gasps> he, but not really? on purpose. McSwiggin was out for drinks with some friends that they were actually after and they he died in the situation but it was Capone's fault that he died I'm like so maybe he did do it on purpose who freaking knows that's who knows <laughs> but I mean if you got the guy on the ground standing over him with a gun and you're like I know you this is perfect I mean that is like two birds with one stone uh, I don't know Huh. Okay. Later that year, Torrio and Capone enlisted Yale and other associates to murder gang leader Dion O'Bannon in his flower shop. Oh, is that right? O'Banion? O'Banion. His associates, Haim Weiss and George Bugs Moran, were unsuccessful in their attempt to kill Torrio in early 1925. So that's why they were after him. Right. Capone took over from his boss, Johnny Torrio, in 1925. Torrio, who was seriously wounded in an assassination attempt in 1924, had retired to Italy. Why is that in quotations? Because, like, how do you... He still involved with things, I bet. And, yeah. Prohibition, ushered in by the passage of the 18th Amendment in 1920, had really greatly increased the earnings of Americans, America gangsters. So not only were they already in a pretty decent money fall from the brothels and all of their other happenings, um, Prohibition really brought it in for them. They were bootlegging, which is the illegal manufacture and sale of alcohol, and they're running speakeasies, which are illicit drinking establishments. So, you know, underground, going to the bar so nobody knows. If anybody watches Riverdale, they know exactly what a speakeasy is. (laughs) 
That's where I right. get all my knowledge of gangsters. Is Riverdale. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> Capone's income from the activities he was involved in were estimated at some $60 million a year. Wow. His, yeah. His net worth in 1927 was around $100 This is 1927. So it's not like a trillion dollars. Yeah. Yeah, It's a lot. We got to look it up. $100 in 1927 worth today. I don't even know how to read this number. Really? (laughs) I think it's $17 is what it would be today. 17 million or yeah. billion. Uh, uh oh wait, that's wrong. 17 million doesn't make sense cuz that's less. <laughs> 100 million. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is a billion. Yes, I'm sorry. You know me in numbers. 17 yeah. billion dollars and I'm saying so that he... with Dr. Evil. <laughs> He was rich, 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 rich. Also, this was like right going into the depression. And you wonder why he has a wife. He's a 17 billion <laughs> uh, billionaire. What do you right. want? Right. Something else fun I learned was, do you know what gang Al Capone was in? Don't read it. I... Look at me. <laughs> no, I don't. I-, I was doing the notes and then I was like, what gang was he in because surely i should know that you know it it should be common knowledge right so i looked it up and the gang was called the outfit and it was just the italian american mafia so they called themselves like the outfit i feel like they probably walked around and they were just like the gang like we don't need a name we are the mob Well, and I think that that's why we didn't maybe know the name because that's what it always was, was just the mob. And you just know he's like the man of the mob. And I I thought that like the gangs all made up what was the mob. Yeah, I don't. But yeah, when I searched it, it said the gang was called the outfit and they were the Italian-American mafia, but I think the way it was written, the outfit just seemed like that's like what some people called them, I guess. <laughs> or maybe so, they were like, no. I'm thinking of like the, the highest of the highest, like the, yeah. I don't know. They ruled the other gangs. Yeah. Over the years, Al Capone consolidated control over most of Chicago's crime rackets because he ruthlessly just gunned down his rivals. In 1924, authorities counted some 16 gang-related murders, and this type of slaying continued on into 1929, reaching a high of 64 murders in one year during that time. Wow. And A, this is just what bro's, like, getting quote-unquote caught with. Like, he wasn't caught Mm -hmm. because he obviously wasn't in trouble over here, but... You know, that's just what they think. So, like, he probably ordered more than that. It's not all the ones that slept with the fishes. That's so doing the math, that's like 5.3 a day bodies. What do you mean 5.3 a day? It was only 64 murders in one year. Yeah. What? A, oh, not a day. I mean a month. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm not with it. Hey, 
5.3 a, a month. That's a, that is a big difference. <laughs> I was about to say 5.3 a day. It's like, where are they keeping these guys? Like, right. what do you do? How do you handle that? Yeah. I was like, what are you even talking about over there? 5.3 a month is still a lot though. That's one yeah. a week. And I that feel like is? it'd be hard work to get rid of bodies. I guess they didn't have to get rid of all of them. Well, and they are near, but... they're in New York, right? Or Chicago. No, they're in Chicago. River's right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. So federal authorities, including the Federal Bureau of Investigation, had a lot less jurisdiction than they have now. And Chicago's gang-related activities were not included in their jurisdiction. Wowzers. That was a so good choice. Like, not to my move problem. That. Yeah. That, that, that was a good reorg idea <laughs> to yeah. like have it was that under necessary. there. <laughs> the outfit wasn't the only gang in Chicago, and with prohibition, bootlegging was a highly profitable but dangerous business to be in. The Northside gang was a mostly Irish gang run by Dean O'Banion, who we talked about earlier with his little flower shop. And this gang included bugs moran who is listed as being an irish mobster but bugs moran was born adelard coonan to a french immigrant immigrant father jules coonan and a mother of canadian descent marie diane gobiel and he was born in saint paul minnesota so he's wow. not irish no he's in, in the irish gang hmm. so we've got the italians and the Irish in Chicago fighting over who gets to bootleg more. And the, the Irish are from Minnesota. <laughs> this particular <laughs> Irish man. And he comes into play in the massacre. So we're going to talk a little bit about him. But yeah, huh. from Minnesota of Canadian and French descent. His Again, his name's Bugs, and he attended Creighton High School, a private Catholic school in St. Paul. He joined a local juvenile gang and left school at age 18, which is like when you graduate, so... He must have been held back a couple years. <laughs> I don't know. He was later caught robbing a store and was sent to the state juvenile correctional facility. He was put in jail three times before he turned 21. At which point, he fled to Chicago, where he was caught trying to rob a warehouse, taking part in a horse-stealing ring, taking part in robbery involving the death of a police officer, and robbing a freight car, for which he received a variety of prison and jail sentences. Yeah, like you do. I mean, geez. He's doing it all. <laughs> he really... I didn't even know horse-stealing was a thing. I'd hate horses. I would never steal a horse. <laughs> <laughs> and and in Chicago, yeah, I that's like, weird. What? That is Those weird. Damn Minnesotians. He's, got, he's done <laughs> just a little bit of everything. The bootleg operation of Jaime Weiss and Bugs Moran posted a significant challenge to Capone's Southside gang. Moran and Capone then led a turf war with each other that uh, cost them both. Moran's hatred of Capone was apparent even to the public. Moran was disgusted that Capone engaged in prostitution. Oh, so he's got ethics. Yeah, so he does everything, but he won't do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, 
he would not increase profits himself by engaging in prostitution rings because of his Catholic religion. Jeez. Super, super hypocritical. He uses, does he use the mob money to provide his tidings to the Catholic church? (laughs) I feel like probably that is definitely something that happened. Yeah. And I'm sure if like JC would be frowning about that, I'm sure. Yeah, he doesn't want your dirty money. Nope. (laughs) Johnny Toro's gang killed Dean O'Bannon at his flower shop, which was a front that we talked about, over a debt at uh, one of O'Bannon's gambling places. Capone wanted uh, the debt to be dropped, but it wasn't. And in an attempt to avenge him, Bugs Moran and Earl Jaime Weiss made an attempt on Torio's life. Later, they went on to make a failed attempt on Al Capone's life at his headquarters, which is the worst place to try to like off somebody. Is right, at their headquarters. At find them in a headquarters. <laughs> find them in an alley. Um, right, <laughs> the Hawthorne Inn in Cicero, Illinois. More than one thousand shots were fired at the inn and a nearby restaurant in their attempts to kill Capone. In retaliation, Weiss was killed by Capone's gang, and Moran became the new boss of the Northside gang. He looks happy as shit. (laughs) This picture is too much. He's happy to be the leader of the gang. I added that picture because doesn't he look like such a nice guy? He does. He does just look like he is there to sell you a car or something like not it looks like an old picture of like somebody's grandpa like he's not grandpa age in the picture but he just looks like jolly grandpa with his little vest and his tie which looks like it has clovers on it it does look like it has clovers on it that's a sweet tie good choice he looks good i like him i like his face i don't (laughs) like him he's bad yeah, but, but his face nice. is, is jolly. <laughs> right. Bun- He's like a nice guy. <laughs> Capone looks uh real sketchy to me. So- I agree. I agree. He looks like he's done some stuff in his time. Mm-hmm. But not this guy. Not this guy. Not him. Responding to Weiss's death, Moran tried to kill a member of Capone's gang, resulting in an attack allegedly from Capone known as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So we're here. We're yeah, here. but fit, but finish, or the imp- impetus, the impetus for the plan may have been the Northside gang's hijacking of some expensive whiskey being illegally smuggled by Capone's gang from Canada via the Detroit River. Hard to tell because it involved gangsters, and gangsters don't talk about those kind of things because bitches get snitches. Or wait. (laughs) (laughs) What what happens now? (laughs) Stitches. Wait, get stitched. (laughs) Where did the bitches come from? (laughs) You're ridiculous. But yes. And later here in the notes, there's even more more things that may have led. I mean, it's just so many retaliations going on that all of it just culminated into the saint valentine's day massacre so okay we are here now here we are and we're gonna talk about it at 10 30 in the morning on saint valentine's day which was a thursday february 14th 1929 
seven men were murdered at a garage at 2122 North Clark Street in the Lincoln Park neighborhood of Chicago's north side. They were shot by four men using weapons that included two Thompson submachine guns, which are Tommy guns. Thompson? I thought oh, I thought it was Thomas the whole time. <laughs> right? Surprise. Thompson submachine guns. Thought that was interesting. Also, can you think of anything else when you hear Tommy guns? What what do you think of when you hear Tommy guns? The mask. Not the mask. Who is it? It's that Some... place in Cincinnati. Oh, the shots. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. Okay, I see that. that those are good shots. The pickle juice and what was it? Vodka? Undistilled, undistilled vodka? Undistilled vodka, I think. So it's like brown like whiskey, but I think it's yeah. vodka. It takes the burn right out of it. I mean, I'm it shocked. It does. Pickle juice. It's the way to go with your shots so anyways <laughs> they used tommy guns um a sawed off shotgun and a 45 70 ish rounds were fired for these seven guys wow seven, somewhere in the range of 70 They're terrible shots they were not terrible <laughs> shots <laughs> they were just overdoing it <laughs> two of the shooters were wearing police uniforms while the others other two were wearing suits ties overcoats and hats Wow. This happened 94 years ago to the day. Ugh. 94. Yeah. That's just weird. keeps getting farther and farther away. Everything. That is. That's very strange. Mm-hmm. The victims included five members of George Bugs Moran's Northside Gang, Moran's second-in-command and brother-in-law, Albert Kalachek, alias James Clark, which is easier, was killed along with Adam Heyer, the gang's bookkeeper and business manager. Albert Weinshank, who managed several cleaning and dyeing operations for Moran, and gang enforcers Frank Gusenberg and Peter Gusenberg. Were they brothers? Yes, they were. It's like, huh? Night at the Roxbury, Doug Butabi and Steve Butabi. Are you brothers? <laughs> no. Yeah. Yes. They were brothers. <laughs> Two, I don't know why I'm so, like, movie-driven today. You are. Anyway, two associates were also shot. Reinhard H. Schwimmer and former optician turned gambler and gang associate. What a far cry. Um, and John May, an occasional mechanic for the Moran gang. Yep, so they were well, all there. The money must be better, I guess. I don't know. Them being an optician? Yeah. Being being a gambler and a gang associate does not pay better than being an optician, I don't think. I don't know. Uh, you don't know what it was like in 1929. <laughs> You're right. I don't. So maybe it was. But yeah, that is a far cry and strange. They were thorough, spraying their victims left and right. So they weren't bad shots. They were just thorough. Mm -hmm. Even continuing to fire after all seven had hit the floor. Two shotgun blasts afterward all but obliterated the faces of John May and James Clark. So, like, when they went to identify the bodies, they could not from wow. their faces. Wow. That's crazy. And that was according to the coroner's report. Witnesses saw the men in police uniforms leading the other men 
at gunpoint mm. out of the garage after the shooting, hmm. which was a ruse to give the impression that everything was under control. That's pretty so, smart. So, hey, howdy, neighbors. The reason you heard all those gunshots in here, in there, it was these guys. Yeah. The 70 shots. It was just yeah. these guys. Yep. <laughs> huh. And they bought it. Yeah, they did. Chicago police officers arrived at the scene to find the only survivors in the warehouse. They were May's dog. All good. Highball. Thank goodness. Yep. <laughs> Thank we. Huh. Yes. Okay. This dog. Love the dog survival story. And Highball. Was, I love Highball as a name. And he was that, just fine. <laughs> he good. And Frank Gusenberg. Frank was still alive despite having sustained 14 bullet wounds. Wow. What a champion. Yeah. He, w- he was taken to the hospital where doctors stabilized him for a short time and police tried to question him. When the police asked him who did it, he reportedly replied, no one shot me. <laughs> he died three hours later. If you're going to die, you might as well go for it. Why not? I don't know. Your uh, snitches get stitches doesn't come into <laughs> application here. So, yeah, I don't know. It's got to be like a, a pride, not pride. What's the yeah, word? like yeah, like honor. Um, yeah, like if you're in the mob, you don't talk about it. Kind like of Fight thing. Club, mm-hmm. right? The massacre was an attempt to eliminate Bugs Moran, again the head of the North Side Gang, the not Irish Irish leader. Al Capone, who was at his Florida home at the time, was widely <laughs> assumed to have been responsible for ordering the massacre. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Several factors, but Florida is the right place to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you. Oh, have for sure. Yep. Several factors contributed to the timing of the plan to kill Moran. Moran and Capone, this is, again, some other reasons why this may have happened. They may have been, or they had been, not may have been, vying for control of the bootlegging trade. So they were at each other's necks trying to be the controllers. Moran had also been muscling in on a Capone-run dog track in the Chicago suburbs. What? And he had taken over several saloons that were run by Capone, insisting that they were in his territory. So at this point, Chicago split into the north side and the south side, Mm -hmm. and they just are supposed to stay in their own lanes, right? Earlier in the year, Northsider Frank Gusenberg and his brother Peter unsuccessfully attempted to murder Jack McGurn. The Northside gang was complicit in the murders of Pasqualino, Patsy Lardo, and Antonio the Scrooge Lombardo. Both had been presidents of the Union Sicilinia, the local mafia, and close associates of Capone. So there's, again, just some retaliation of some other murders going on, or attempted murders, rather. That'll never end. Yeah, it's so hard. Like, while I'm doing these notes, I'm like, why? What? (laughs) Like, I keep running into new, like, so-and-so killed so-and-so, and and that's why they're mad. And Mm. also, yeah, his uncle's cousin's brother's died and like i don't know it's all over Mm. (laughs) there's too much going on the plan was to lure moran to the smc cartage warehouse on north clark street on february 14th 1929 
to kill him and perhaps two or three of his lieutenants. It is usually assumed that the Northsiders were lured to the garage with the promise of a stolen cut-rate shipment of whiskey supplied by Detroit's Purple Gang, which was a Jewish gang, which who would have thought? Right? <laughs> uh, which was associated with Capone, because he's associated with freaking everybody. You're either associated with him or you're his enemy, is what it right. seems. That's that's all there is. <laughs> The Gusenberg brothers were supposed to drive two empty trucks to Detroit that day to pick up two loads of stolen Canadian whiskey. All of the victims were dressed in their best clothes, with the exception of John May, as was customary for the Northsiders and other gangsters at the time. When he, John May, he was a, a mechanic. The mechanic, so, yeah. yeah. And they were at a garage that was run by them, so he was probably working on stuff. Mm-hmm. Most of the Moran gang arrived at the warehouse by approximately 10.30 a.m., but Moran was not there, having left his Parkway Hotel apartment late. Oh. Yeah. He and a fellow gang member, Ted Newberry, were approaching the rear of the warehouse from a side street when they saw a police car nearing the building, which was them. Hmm. They immediately turned and retraced their steps, going to a nearby coffee shop, they encountered gang memory member Henry Gusenberg, which I'm assuming is a brother of Frank and <laughs> Peter. <laughs> How many brothers they got? I don't know. But they encountered him on the street and warned him about the cop over there, so he too turned back. Northside gang member Willie Marks also spotted the police car on his way to the garage and ducked into a doorway and jotted down the license plate number before leaving the neighborhood. So that was that's four people that were all late to getting to this place that avoided this situation wow that's so crazy yeah capone's lookouts likely mistook one of moran's men which people say it was probably albert weinshank because he was the same height and build for moran himself so Ah. albert went in and they thought that that was Moran going in. The physical similarity between the two men was enhanced by the fact that they were both wearing the same color overcoats and hats that day. What? That Albert. What? The worst luck. Uh, right. He would have probably yeah. been there anyways, but yeah, bad luck for him. Good luck for Moran. Well, but if this wouldn't have gone down, if they didn't see him there, I wonder if this would have even taken place. You know what I mean? It, yeah, you're right. It probably wouldn't have because something I read said like somebody signaled them to go mm-hmm. when Albert walked in. So they never would have got that signal. Yeah. Or. No, it still would have happened because Moran would eventually have gotten there and then they would have signaled it to start yeah. anyways. Yeah. That's true. Just a delay. Worked that out. (laughs) Well, no, no, that's not true necessarily. Because the cops, they didn't go because of the cops, right? But the cops weren't cops. They were the other gang. And they didn't, if they didn't get signaled, they wouldn't have come up. They wouldn't have been there. So they wouldn't have seen the cops because they wouldn't have Um, been there yet. Okay. Man, I'm really, I'm really hand holding you through this. (laughs) There's a lot of moving pieces. I'm just trying to get the full picture. I need, like, next time I need you to draw some sort of chart. (laughs) I know. 
and there there should be some sort of chart because it again it's wild it was common knowledge that Moran was hijacking Capone's Detroit-based liquor shipments, and the police focused their attention on Detroit's predominantly Jewish Purple Gang. Again, I'm shocked. Um, landladies Mrs. Duty and Mrs. Ordvitsen had taken in three men as rumors, ten days rumors, as in, like, people who were rooming there. Right. Not rumors. Um, ten days before the massacre, and their rooming houses were directly across the street from the North Clark Street gang. So suspicious. Picked, that's very suspicious. They picked out mugshots of Purple Game members George Lewis, Eddie Fletcher, Phil Keywell, and his younger brother Harry. But they later wavered in their identification. Hmm. All, all of a sudden they didn't know who was staying there. <laughs> The police questioned and cleared Fletcher, which is now probably why you got to show your idea places. <laughs> right. <laughs> they messed it all up for everybody. The police questioned and cleared Fletcher Lewis and Harry Keywell. Nevertheless, the Keywell brothers and by extension, the Purple Gang remained associated with the crime in the years that followed. Many also believed that the police were involved, which may have been the intention of the killers. Of course it was. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Hmm. On February 22nd, police were called to the scene of a garage fire on Wood Street where they found a 1927 Cadillac sedan disassembled and partially burned and determined that the killers had used the car. They traced the engine number to a Michigan Avenue dealer who had sold the car to a James Morton of Los Angeles. Hmm. The garage had been rented by a man calling himself Frank Rogers, who gave his address as 1859 West North Avenue. This was the address of the Circus Cafe, operated by Claude Maddox, a former St. Louis gangster with ties to the Capone Gang, the Purple Gang, and the St. Louis Gang, Egan's Rats. Egan's Rats? What? <laughs> somebody's king. <laughs> what a name. I need to get a shirt with that. Ooh, that's a new idea. You, you should not do that. <laughs> and not <laughs> are they still around? I hope not, because they're coming after us. I mean, this is 1927. Hopefully, at least they've changed their name before then. Because yikes, that's a yeah. long time to have that name. It's a choice. Police could not turn up any information about persons named James Morton or Frank Rogers, but they had a definite lead on one of the killers. Just minutes before the killings, a truck driver named Elmer Lewis had turned a corner a block away from 2122 North Clark and sideswiped a police car. Mm -hmm. He told police that he stopped immediately but was waved away by the uniformed driver who was missing a front tooth. <laughs> <laughs> which okay. is important which is important it's not just something that's that we're rude <laughs> like body shaming to the extreme he's allowed to have a missing right. tooth he's the driver with the missing tooth board of education president h wallace caldwell had witnessed the accident and he gave the same description of the driver police were confident that they were describing fred burke a former member of Egan's Rats. <laughs> you can't For, say that. I know. Like, like confidently. No. Right. It just doesn't seem like it should be there. 
Burke and a close companion named James Ray were known to wear police uniforms whenever uh, they were on a robbery spree. Burke was also a fugitive under indictment for robbery and a murder in Ohio. Police also suggested that Joseph Lolardo could have been one of the killers because of his brother, Pasqualino, who we talked about earlier, his recent murder by the Northside gang. So they've got some people that they're looking at. Right. Okay. Police then announced that they suspected Capone's gunman, John Scalisi and Albert Anselmi, as well as Jack McGurn and Frank Rio, a Capone bodyguard. Police eventually charged McGurn and Salisi with the massacre. Capone murdered Scalisi in a Sleamy and Joseph Hoptoed Yanta. What are these names? <laughs> in May 1929, after he learned about their plan to kill him, the police dropped the murder charge against Jack McGurn because of lack of evidence, and he was charged with a violation of the Mann Act. He took his girlfriend, Louise. Rolf across state lines to marry her, which is so a no-no. Yeah. So the people that they charged ended up either dead or they had to just let go. The case stagnated until December 14th, 1929, when the Berrien County, Michigan Sheriff's Department raided the St. Joseph, Michigan bungalow of Frederick Dane, the registered owner of a vehicle driven by Fred Killer Burke. Wow. Burke had been drinking that night, then rear-ended another vehicle and drove off. Patrolman Charles Skelly pursued, finally forcing him off the road. Skelly hopped onto the running board of Burke's car, but he was shot three times and died of his wounds that night. Whoa. The car... The car was found wrecked and abandoned just outside St. Joseph and was traced to Fred Dane. By this time, police photos confirmed that Dane was, in fact, Fred Burke, who was wanted by the Chicago police for his participation in the St. Valentine's Day massacre. So they found Holy. their guy through all of that. Police raided Burke's bungalow and found a large trunk containing a bulletproof vest Almost $3,200,000. No, $320,000. What is wrong with me? Take my <laughs> numbers away. Um, in bonds recently stolen from a Wisconsin bank, two Thompson submachine guns. <laughs> what? Uh, Tommy guns. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Tom Thompson, Thompson is submachine <laughs> guns makes me laugh. <laughs> two shotguns, and thousands of rounds of ammunition. St. Joseph authorities immediately notified the Chicago police who requested both machine guns. They used the new science at the time of forensic ballistics to identify both weapons as those used in the massacre. They also discovered that one of them had been used to murder New York mobster Frankie Yale a year and a half earlier, which we talked about. Unfortunately, no further concrete evidence surfaced in the massacre case. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Burke was captured over a year later on a Missouri farm. The case against him was strongest in connection to the murder of Officer Skelly, so he was tried in Michigan and subsequently sentenced to life imprisonment, and he died in prison in 1940. So, no one was ever brought to trial for the murders, and it remains one of the biggest unsolved crimes in history. 
Wow. For some reason, I did not think that this was unsolved. That's because it like Loki is. They know that it was Capone's gang, right? Like it has to be. Or the purple gang or some other gang being played to do that by Capone. Uh-huh. Right. He's involved in some way. Yeah. For sure. Like, and he's the head of the situation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Though the St. Valentine's Day Massacre marked the end of any significant gang opposition to Capone's rule in Chicago, it can also be said to have marked the beginning of his downfall. With his highly effective organization, his impressive income, and his willingness to ruthlessly eliminate his rivals, Capone had become the country's most notorious gangster, and is still today. The newspapers dubbed him public enemy number one. Federal authorities began investigating Capone after he failed to appear before a federal grand jury after being subpoenaed in March 1929. When he finally appeared and testified, federal agents arrested him for contempt of court. Capone posted bond and was released only to be arrested in Philly that May on charges of carrying a concealed weapon. Capone served nine months in prison and was released for good behavior. So is that They're just doing like anything they can. Is that his stint in Alcatraz? Alcatraz? No. Okay. In February 1931, a federal court found Capone guilty on the contempt charge and sentenced him to six months in Cook County Jail. Meanwhile, the U.S. Treasury Department had launched an investigation of Capone for income tax evasion, of all things can't mess with you can kill people all over town but do not mess with the government don't mess up on your taxes through diligent forensic accounting special agent frank wilson and other members of the intelligence unit of the irs were able to put together a case and in june 1931 capone was indicted for evasion of federal income tax he was convicted that october after an internationally publicized trial and Capone was sentenced to 11 years in prison, first in Atlanta and later at Alcatraz. Okay. He was released in 1939 and died an invalid recluse at his Florida home in 1947 from syphilis. Yeah, I knew he died. And pneumonia. <laughs> I did know he had died from syphilis. And what a way to go. I what mean, a way. Yeah, I'm- not ideal. No, and I mean, it all started with syphilis because he had syphilis and it like shut things down, like really affected his organs. And then he had a stroke and then he got pneumonia and then he died in that wild. Like, but it all just... starts with the syphilis. <laughs> well, and nowadays, if somebody has syphilis, they take antibiotics and then you're done. Yeah, like, it's just fine. crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I thought this was interesting. George Bugs Moran, who was the guy that was on his way to the garage in Chicago at the time of the massacre and missed getting killed. A few days later, he told reporters only Capone kills like that. Hmm. Then Capone was reached at his Florida home for comment on the murders. And Capone said, the only man who kills like that is Bugs Moran. <laughs> <laughs> 
So they're, they're saying stuff, but they're not saying anything. I mean, they're <laughs> implicating themselves, both of them. They're ridiculous. So let's move on to some spooky stuff. Okay, remember, 94 years ago today. In the days and months and years following the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, the SMC Cartage Company at 2122 North Clark Street became a hot spot for tourists. Eventually, ownership of the garage changed hands, and in 1949, new owners opened an antique furniture business. The couple that owned the business later recounted that the building may have been haunted. Eventually, it closed in 1967, and then the building was finally demolished. So, I mean, it could have been many things. That or the fact that they got antiques in there. I mean, those could be haunted, too. Yeah. Canadian entrepreneur George Patey purchased the bull-ridden bricks that lined the garage wall just prior to the demolition. Whoa. So he's thinking ahead here. In 1972, he opened a Roaring Twenties-themed nightclub, and he used those bricks as part of the men's restroom wall. Patey placed the 400-plus bricks... Oh, I'm sorry. Eventually, the club closed. And at that time, he put the 400-plus bricks into storage. He later offered them for sale with a written account of the massacre at a price of $1,000 each. So he's selling these. Uh Uh-huh. Because he's an entrepreneur. He's an entrepreneur. But they were being returned as fast as he was able to sell them. So people were buying them, but then they were coming right back like, give me my money back. I don't want this brick. It's believed that anyone who purchased one of the bricks met with bad luck, manifesting in the form of illnesses, financial disaster, divorce, and in some cases, supposedly death. Hmm. According to the ill-fated buyers, the bricks were a powerful source of negative energy emanating from the St. Valentine's Day Massacre or its ghosts. So, Hmm. Clark Street, where the building was demolished, is believed to be haunted as well. Passerbys and witnesses claim to have heard screams and machine gun fire with other inexplicable noises and then feelings of dread while walking down the street have also been experienced i believe that places can hold energy of things that occurred in the past i i definitely feel that which is so weird which why we did this episode today because literally i mean this morning at 10 30 all those people all got happened, riddled yeah. with 70 ish bullets mm-hmm. you know it, yeah crazy places definitely hold energy like i feel like you could really feel that in new orleans i agree it's something and and it's almost like a addiction like i have such an urge in my body to just get in my car and drive there like i just want to go back so bad and i've never i've liked places like oh that's nice we should try that again but not the urge to like I need to make this happen soon because I'm missing just the buzz that you feel. You just feel, I just feel different. Yeah. There's a weird energy there. And I like strange. Yeah. And there's so many places there to go and like the different places feel different. And I feel like you can feel, I don't know. I feel like it is a heavy Mm -hmm. kind of energy, like weighs more than just being out here. I don't know. No, I I think places with like, history and where things really happened you can feel that 
I even feel like I agree with that because I while it's a it's a longing and I liked the feeling it was heavier it just felt heavier like the air felt heavier I don't know and and the people there too I feel like the the locals they feel different too yeah it's weird it is weird I don't know how to I don't know I've never been in a place like that or and we went to places that have been you know supposedly haunted that we believe there's something there but we've never felt that draw to to have to go back yeah it feels like there's a lot of undiscovered things going on like things that are to be experienced Uh uh-huh right um i did get an email recently on brownella actually um we went Mm. there last year right or the two years ago was it two years no it was like a year and a half ago okay well, we, I, I really enjoyed that place. Um, I really loved the two people that run the, you know, the walkthroughs and they were so helpful and I would like, I would like to go back there. I could, I could go back there. I would like to go back there because I feel like we're more experienced now and have a better idea and mm-hmm. could go off on our own better. I agree. I think I would prefer to have less people in the house. <laughs> I agree with that too. I agree with that too, because it, it the house is massive and you can a little crowded yeah like the the walls were thin and you could hear things travel um i don't know maybe you and i just need to go back that would be scary that would be scary let's do it But we could do it (laughs) we could totally and and it's weird because in some parts of the house it feels not good and then like whenever you're sitting in the living room with that red carpet i don't know it just kind of like you feel feels cozy and yeah the only place that really felt bad was the basement there was something going on i don't want to i don't want to go back there with just you no offense we can bring (laughs) the two hosts yeah they would come with us yeah and they're gonna have to go in the basement (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Um, okay. So, wow. That, I don't know. There's a lot of different pieces to that puzzle. Lots of things beforehand, lots of things that happen during that we know, but we can't prove ish kind of. Mm-hmm. And then the haunted yeah. aspect of it. It's got everything we wanted on this Valentine's day. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Covers it all. Yeah. You want to cite your sources? Stealing. Ugh. Yes, I would love to cite my sources. Who would steal a friggin' horse? Get rid of them. <laughs> They're awful. Poor horses. All right. I used history.com, Britannica.com, Wikipedia.com, GlobalOrdinanceNews.com, and San Diego Haunted.com. Very cool. Maybe that's somewhere we need to go. It's not too far away. I've been to Chicago and so have you. I know, but I've never been to this location. Have you? Oh, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> and we, man, we can make a Valentine's Day trip out of it next year. Oh, that would be fun. That would be so romantical. Chicago, just me and you, though. Well, yeah, (laughs) for sure. That's the only way it would be romantical. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode 132 on the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. We hope you had a lovely, beautiful Valentine's Day. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.